Well, in the future, a podcast about, yes, the future. Every week, we explore a specific future scenario. Every episode, we start with a trip to the future. So let's go there now. This week, we're going to the year 2063. Hi, can I help you? Yeah, we're here for an empathy exchange. Great, just sign in here and have a seat and we'll call you in. Maria and Carlos? Hi, come back with me. So have you both done an empathy exchange before? I have. No, I haven't. Okay, so let's get you comfortable in the headsets first and then I'll explain how this will work. Maria, can you sit over here? Carlos, can you come here? Yeah, right there. Great. Here is a headset for you and one for you. Go ahead and put those on. Right, Maria, yeah, like that. Perfect. Carlos, put the strap behind your ear. Yeah, yeah, like that, exactly. And then just kind of scooch it scooch it down a little on your forehead. You can make it looser with the dial on the back. You want it to kind of hug your head. Yeah, 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 like that, exactly. It says here that you two came in to deal with some relationship issues. Can you tell me about them? What events specifically would you like to exchange empathy on? I have anxiety issues, and one of the things that triggers my anxiety is situations where I feel unprepared. Carlos is always late for everything, and I know that sometimes it doesn't matter, but sometimes it does matter. I want him to understand why I get so annoyed when he's late. Okay, sure, that should be pretty easy. Carlos, are you on board with exchanging empathy on that? Yeah, sure. Is there anything you want Maria to feel? Any specific events that you want to exchange with her? Uh, I don't think so. Okay, then this should be pretty easy. Sit back in your chairs, relax your shoulders, just breathe in for a few breaths, and then we'll start. So in this future, we have some kind of empathy machine, something that can put you in someone else's shoes, to feel their feelings, understand their emotions, and generally just get in their heads. Before we dive into what that machine might do for our world, let's pause for a minute to talk about what empathy actually is. One of the things that's really important to know is that the word empathy conflates two different concepts. Um, They're known as cognitive empathy and emotional empathy, or theory of mind and emotional empathy. And so what the difference is, is this. Cognitive empathy is like being able to think about the existence of other minds and being able to imagine what it is like to uh, be in somebody else's position. Emotional empathy is about feeling other people's feelings so that in a nursery for example with a bunch of newborns if one of them cries the other ones will cry as well but they're not really aware of why they're crying. That's Maya Solovitz. She's a journalist and the co-author of a book called Born to Love, Why Empathy is Essential and Endangered. When people talk about empathy in autism, it often gets confused with empathy in sociopathy, and it's very different because of the difference between cognitive and emotional empathy. Sociopaths are very, very good at putting themselves in other people's shoes. The thing is, they don't care if they pinch. In fact, they enjoy other people's pain often. So they use their ability to 
have cognitive empathy to uh, manipulate other people. Whereas in autism, when there were problems with empathy, it's more to do with understanding that other perspectives are different and separating all of that out. And already here, we're getting to one of the huge hurdles with this idea. The fact that empathy is kind of a nebulous thing. And the way that each of us experience the world is really different. So if we start thinking about how this empathy machine might actually work, we start to kind of struggle against the way that experience and memories function. We don't even know if the code within the brain is the same for everybody. So if you were to sort of able to send the signals that come from my brain into your senses, it might be completely meaningless. It seems as though people code things the same way, and there may be one universal neural code, but we're not even sure of that. Like, neuroscientists don't even know that. Yeah, well, it's kind of like, you know, the old question about is the what I see as the color blue the same thing that you see when you see something that's blue? It's very kind of depends on the position you're coming from. Are you seeing the same thing as the person is seeing? You know, we would then the question would become, well, just because your neurons are firing in the same pattern that mine are or however it would work, are you really feeling the same feeling or is it something else once it's run through the filters of your life experience and... Um, everything you've gone through to get to where you are. That's Samantha Rich, a science fiction writer who recently published a short story in an anthology called Accessing the Future. The story is set up in a future where everybody wears little screens that broadcast their neural activity. So everybody can see what's going on with everybody else all the time. Well, it started because I was thinking about uh, invisible disabilities, which is a whole category that's very kind of has fuzzy edges. A lot of people disagree on what falls in that category and what doesn't. But like I personally have have struggled with both anxiety and depression. And I know sometimes those are considered invisible illnesses, invisible disabilities and sometimes not. But that was where I started from. And I've done a lot of listening with friends who have things like chronic fatigue and multiple sclerosis and things like that, where people might not be able to tell by looking at you that you have these difficulties going about your day, but it's something you have to deal with. Rich's story raises some really interesting questions about how much information we should really know about each other and how much insight one can truly get about a person from seeing things like biometric data. Just because you know some piece of information about what a person is feeling doesn't mean that you can really understand that feeling. Well, right. I mean, one of the sort of mind-boggling questions that arises from this is, are you separate from your emotions and perceptions? Um, If you are not separate from them, you would end up being sort of experiencing a jumble of signals that wouldn't really mean anything to you. If you are independent of your uh, perceptions and senses, you might be able to uh, experience the world from somebody else's point of view, but it's hard to know how much of that then would be tainted by your own prior stuff. And so how much it would really be like being them would be very hard to know. And how would that work with if you were sharing the empathy machine with somebody who was there to let you get two different perspectives on the same events? I could see that being both really useful or like... um, helping to bring about a lot better understanding or possibly really traumatic and or creating problems. (laughs) But let's say that in this future, we have some good way of actually exchanging full emotional experiences that I can put on a helmet and really feel what you felt at a certain moment and really understand it. Can you imagine how things might change if that was possible? If, If people really experienced 
what it was like to be in another person's perspective. That's Heather Schlegel, a social scientist and futurist who thinks a lot about how technology and intimacy interact. In the longer scheme of the human, the evolution of the human species, we have just gone through, and, and we're at the beginning, of augmenting ourselves with technology. And we have done a fantastic job augmenting ourselves from a logical perspective. We have mobile phones, which are extensions of our identity, that give us access to Google and all of these fantastic technologies. But we are just beginning to learn how to augment and and expand our emotional capacities. A few years ago, Schlegel worked on a project called Yumi, an imagined future company that offered a service very similar to the one we described at the beginning of this episode. The concept was an embedded biochip that you could kind of like send your emotional states to different people. So for example, say I was walking on the beach or I was hiking in the desert and it was just so gorgeous. And I just had this feeling of peace and satisfaction and awe at the natural beauty and maybe the sun was setting and I saw a coyote. And I thought, you know what, I want to take a snapshot of this emotional state. As part of this design future, Schlegel and her team came up with some theoretical future headlines and news stories describing the public's reaction to this kind of technology. Here are a few of them. Early adopters are athletes with integrated monitoring technology included for coaching staff. The PGA Tour is won by a golfer who credits the system for just-in-time advice. A property developer creates a Yumi community in North Vancouver where all individuals must have embedded empathy technology. Yumi encounters religious pushback seen as interfering with higher connections to God. Surgeons and nurses connect with their patients to better understand their needs. A primary school rejects any students without an empathy connection. And if you could actually get this kind of system to work, there would be all kinds of both great and sort of terrifying applications. Like, as a teenager, I was really obsessed with, like, having something like this. But I do remember thinking, like, oh, God, I just wish, like, I'd love to know what it's like to be a man. I'd love to know, you know, what that feels like. Well, I feel like one thing is that any technology is at some point going to get turned into entertainment in one way or another. So I kind of wonder how that will go if it would be like a experience almost like concerts where you get to have an, you get to have an emotional experience from someone Uh, You kind of sit down, lock into the machine, and you get to experience maybe somebody who's traveled places you haven't or just generally had experiences you haven't, and you get to share that. And that would probably be, I imagine that would be a pretty booming business, but it also ends up being kind of ethically dubious because you end up with like a group who's having the experiences and then people who are just kind of feeding off them. So I think that could be a very interesting thing to explore. We presented this concept at South by Southwest a few years ago. And in the subsequent conversation in, in that session, one of the things came up was crime and how do you how do you deal with criminals and crime? And of course, one of the things we talked about was um, having people who cause the crime to relive or experience what it was like to be on the other side of that crime. Now that opens up a huge can of worms. There's there's a whole bunch of questions about that. Yeah, because on the one hand, that would seem to be like the ideal punishment, like rhetorically, but I don't know if it is just producing more pain and it's also kind of using the victim's pain in a way that that doesn't quite sit right with me. (laughs) But here again is where we need to pause. It seems like being able to experience other people's emotions and mental states would be a good thing, right? 
that it could even change people's minds about subjects, give them a better understanding of people who they may not have met, and maybe even shake out some of the prejudice that most people harbor inside of them. I I really love that Depeche Mode song, Try Walking in My Shoes or Walking in My Shoes. I think it's just, it's really hard to be judgmental to people when you see the world from the inside of their eyes. And when people do that, you can get glimpses of, of the diversity of experience of living. It, it helps us become more tolerant and respect each other a little bit more. But is that actually true? Does experiencing other people's emotions and memories actually make you more respectful of them as people? It is a very interesting thing if this would make you more empathetic towards other people or less. I mean, you would experience people's racism and sexism and all kinds of um, other prejudices that they work really hard to suppress. Are those things the real them? I am not so sure. Just because you've you have this one take on it doesn't necessarily mean you can wrap your mind around the whole problem. Like just like reading one book on a subject doesn't automatically make you an expert. People tend to think that, oh, like we would empathize if only we could feel other people's pain. And that isn't necessarily the case. Um, You have to feel the pain and care about it and think it's wrong to hurt them, which is a whole other dimension. Solovitz says she thinks a true empathy exchange would indeed solve a whole lot of problems. What we do know about increasing empathy between people is that if you don't have any contact with the other, um, then you're never very unlikely to develop empathy with them. If you have contact in a setting where people are kind of relatively equal and feel safe and comfortable, and they develop relationships, now that might end up with the, well, my friend's a good one of these and the rest of them are bad. Um, But you can usually actually get people to start to see from other people's perspectives when they interact in basic fundamental human ways with them. But it's also important not just to exchange the bad feelings. We need to understand the good ones, too. I also think we overemphasize the uh, role of pain, and we don't look enough at empathizing with other people's pleasure, um, because that is actually really powerful. And when you can you know, feel somebody's joy with them instead of being jealous or um, whatever else you might feel, uh, that also uh, dramatically grows empathy. Here's the thing. Humans, as a species, have a huge capacity for empathy. We really do. Our whole world is built on it. But having empathy for someone you know nothing about, for a world that isn't yours, for a life that has no overlap with the one you're living, it takes work. And it takes listening. Every single one of us can be a whole lot more empathetic than we are right now. We just have to listen to people who are telling us about their experiences. And those people are all around us. The internet is an amazing thing, and it brings their stories to us every day. You can think of it kind of like a predecessor to this empathy box. And if we listen to those stories, actually really listen, and try to understand what they're telling us, we can in fact do a lot of the work that this future technology might do for us. And in the meantime, while we wait for this magical box to really put us in someone else's shoes, we can turn to a much older magical invention that can do pretty much the same thing. You know, we already have a pretty good way of doing this. It's called, like, the novel. (laughs) 
For more on empathy, what scientists know about it, and what developers are trying to do to bolster it, head to gizmodo.com, where we'll post links to more information. Meanwhile in the Future is a podcast from Gizmodo. It's produced and hosted by me, Rose Eveleth. Special thanks this week to Robert Brenner, Rebecca Onion, and Sarah Werner. The intro music is by Asura, and the outro music is by Broke for Free. If you have futures you want to talk to us about, or you just want to say hi, send us an email at overthinkingit@gizmodo.com, Or you can find us on Twitter, at MeanwhileFuture. And now we also have a Facebook page. Yay! That's facebook.com slash MeanwhileFuture. That's all for this future. Come back next week for a new one.